The point of having your medical records is not to have a book to read. They're going to be necessary to figure out if you're eligible for a clinical trial or what to do next, to make predictions about how you would respond, whether you might be susceptible to adverse effects of treatments. This idea of what's the right treatment for you, I think, is really complicated and it can't be achieved without lots of information that is scattered and buried and hard to find in that stack of documents. Welcome to Target Cancer Podcast. My name is Dr. Sanjay Juneja. I'm a hematologist and medical oncologist in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, also known as the Yonk Doc. And I am very excited to have something that is literally for you as a patient or as a family member of a loved one that has cancer. And it's something that is ridiculously overdue. With us to talk about it is Mark Shapiro. I've gotten to know Mark really well because he's extremely passionate about getting people access two things in care that's, I don't even want to call it modern, but really where technology is today. It's one of the biggest challenges in cancer. Mark is COO of Xcures, which is a free platform specifically designed to help that inequity gap where it shouldn't matter where you live in the country on the kind of care you get and qualify and have access for. He's also the principal investigator of Excelsior, which is basically what we're going to talk about and how we're going to query all this stuff for you and for patients in the future, starting literally tomorrow, how they can basically have that reassurance that they have access to all the possibilities of what's out there instead of flying to a thousand different hospitals. So Mark, that's a long, long-winded introduction, but it's something I'm very passionate about and so are you. So thanks for being here. Thank you for uh, having me here, Sanjay. It's really great to be here. appreciate what you do in your podcast. I really enjoy it. Um, it's really informative. So I'm excited to be here as well, uh, talking about patient right of access and medical records in the United States. It's not something that it's not what I set out to, to learn about, right? Nobody goes and says, I want to be an expert on patient right of access to medical records. But through our work helping patients, one of the biggest challenges we face is getting medical records and trying to understand what's going on with a patient in order to try and figure out what options might be out there for them. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's arguably less sexy of a term than medical records in obtaining, right? <laughs> Like, it's just not a topic that people want to talk about. But so I want to basically paint a lens on, on helping people appreciate, like, what's crazy, really, about how behind we are, right? And that's that we have all this technology, all this stuff, this, this Lensa app. Everyone's using an AI, you know, thing of their face on social media today. And mine was look pretty gnarly, and some of them just look like your stock photo of an Indian guy. <laughs> but all this technology is out there. And what's absolutely insane is that despite all of that in 2022, my management with my patients actually completely hinge and depend on a piece of paper that is a very old kind of coding to basically put a series of ink and characters for me to be able to then myself be the processor to make them points of value, metrics of value that can say these are what your numbers are, these are what your you know, mutations are. They're still just things on ink. That's what people I think would be excited about to understand is that you can take things that are ink and on paper and now actually have a catalog of metrics and points, just like you look at your bank statement or your credit card statement or how your stocks are doing, you can actually have something that's dynamic and understood and queried so that it can be usable. Almost think of it like a USB or, or people are using them in blockchain now to say you have all your information under code and it just all gets queried. That frustration and really oncology is behind more than arguably anyone else for as elite as the needs are for technology and treatments. Until now, there's been a couple of big developments this year that are trying to change that, trying to say, you should not be at the mercy. Your care of you or your loved one should not be at the mercy of 
Is the paper in stock? Is somebody there able to fax that document? When can they fax it? And how big is the sack of stuff on their desk for your literally your life, for your second consult, for something that may have been missed? And somebody said, finally, I don't know who it was, I don't know if it was you, who knows, but somebody said, this is not right. We need to have a way where we can, we should mandate, we know we have the technology for systems to be able to have it on some kind of cloud so that somebody can just access it and pull it like you can open it to your email or your checking account. The system you describe of what we live in with medical records is really kind of funny. I mean, it's a strange thing. And patients have had the right to look at their medical records now for, I guess, almost, or no, 20 years. They've had the right to, to look at their medical records for 20 years, but it wasn't an easy right to exercise because your records were fragmented and they were paper and somebody would need to fax you. So you might need a fax number or you could look for a big bundle of uh, shrink wrap documents in the mail. Not a very useful thing. Right. And, you know, this is really limited by having somebody in the basement of the hospital with a photocopier. And they're meaningless unless somebody can interpret it. So, like, that that's the key, too. It's not a matter of. And what we're going to get to is of just having it all there. It's not still just in print form. You actually have data or metrics or a capture of understanding or being able to manipulate or translate those things to make them applicable for things like trials, like treatments, because now they're actually metrics of value rather than just a series of characters. That, that's right. I mean, the point of having your medical records is not to have a book to read, right? Like a gigantic book, you know, there's really key things in there and it's, um, you know, maybe 50, 100 or 1,000 elements of data, like real points, as you say, of value that are going to dictate care decisions, right? They're going to be necessary to figure out if you're eligible for a clinical trial or what to do next, right? Um, to make predictions about how you would respond, whether you might be susceptible to adverse effects of treatments, which uh, this idea of what's the right treatment for you, I think, is really complicated and it can't be achieved without lots of information that is scattered and buried and hard to find in that stack of documents. Ooh, tell me how you'd be affected by the treatments potentially by having a, uh, a catalog of the actual like value points. What can be interpreted in that setting to say, well, I might actually have these side effects rather than just a generalized paper that tells you the side effects. Yeah, well, I, I mean, we know that there's drug susceptibility biomarkers, right? We know and yeah. we're trying to learn continuously um, from the patients in Excelsior, right? The patients who sign up with Excures, if there's another patient like you out there who has a side effect from a medication, we want to surface that for other doctors who are treating similar patients like you, right? So it's about learning from others. Yes, that was a lead-in question. So because what people might find is crazy is, you know, and it just is what it is, it's the system, and I've, I've had to learn to accept that a few years into practice. But say like you get a stent place for a heart attack, we know that there's a percentage of the population that when you get put on clopidogrel, otherwise known as you know, a word with a P, and ends with it. Right. We know that a percentage of people, it will not work. So when people get stented, they actually go back to the cardiologist with another heart attack and, and they have happened to have that mutation. The problem is most people don't have that mutation, so therefore it's not standard of care to test for it. We know a couple of chemos like fluorouracil, for example, and arinotecan, we know that mutations exist that will make the symptoms three to five times worse. I mean, be really bad, like somebody lights a match under it. It is not standard of care and not covered yet by insurance to test that up front, which is crazy. That's scary. Right? What if it's you? What if you're going to be the one with rip-roaring diarrhea and volume loss and lesions all over your hands? And I couldn't wrap my head around that in fellowship. How do we know something could be terrible and it comes down to apparently why you just, not everyone gets a CT scan in the ER, right? It's just cost, cost, cost. But when you have something like this 
And instead of getting a sheet that says, hey, this may or may not be you, we know we are sequencing, which means getting all the blueprint details and, and mechanics of the tumor. But we're also learning the mechanics and all the details about our own biology, which means how do we process things, what doses, what concentration. That's why we always have to shotgun and go up a little bit, go down a little bit based on your toxicities when you know, you're getting cancer treatment. We're just kind of, it's a blue collar way. But there's a whole series of things what we know, the things that break them down or break them down too fast or too slow, that one day will all go into the dosing, the treatment, whether it's going to be effective or not to a degree. We, the cancer is more obviously enigmatic. That is what can be achieved when you can have the data somewhere. Because if you have a person in a white coat looking at that and they don't know, you're at the mercy of that. That's where this whole concept of an exchange comes in, at least the first step, which is have all that cataloged and then observe. It doesn't matter that, hey, you know, Joe kind of looks like you. He's also 45 years old, and, but he lives in Montana and he had this bad side effect you may know too. That's a very macro approach. Yeah. But having things that are queried, and the sooner I believe that, you know, patients with cancer and complicated stuff that we're learning so fast can have it in a place that's translatable, the same way you can wire money to another bank, even if it's a different bank, that same concept with all of these metrics and points can be translatable for study, for research, for pulling case reports and saying, hey, you have this mutation and this may be more problematic for you, or this is a study that's coming because of this mutation seems for whatever reason to be really favorable to the second line therapy instead of the first, because the first ends up not working. That's the future. Yes. But you gotta get it on a system. So what is this thing that happened where now hospitals, uh, if I understand it correctly, you have to be able to at least make your data points now translatable and, and translatable. Uh, uh, translatable. Yeah, so, so, so this has been a long time coming. I mean, it's kind of amazing to think that, so the, the initial right to look at your medic records came in 2000, right? So 22 years ago. More recently, right, the government was trying to push electronic health records, right, which was a painful process, right? Uh, if you were practicing medicine through this, like, People did not know how to make these interfaces. It was painful, but that was still more than 10 years ago. So in 2016, with the passage of the 21st Century Cures Act, there were a bunch of things that the government was trying to promote for better healthcare, including releasing that information out that you had a right to electronically, right? So it was trying to open up this idea that there would be what's called APIs, which are the way that computers talk to each other, that people who made medical records would have to have APIs to let patients get their own information, right? And you need that information, as you said. It can't be in a fax or something like that. It's got to be computer-readable, right? Machine-readable formats that you could put into algorithms, right? And this, this has really stimulated a lot of development, a lot of growth for health technology, right? We are all out there, X-Cures and many companies, trying to come up with algorithms that are going to bring all of the stuff that you described, all these new technologies, AI, to help make it easier to find the important things in your medical record, right? And then to push that relevant information back to the doctor and to the patient who need it. And so if somebody wants to be able to put that into this cloud or exchange, how do they do that? And I, and I just want to hit one more time. I hope people can appreciate. We're not talking about just getting access to, again, the series of characters to see what it is. Because even though in 2000 you could get your records, that doesn't mean much if somebody, that person with it or you, doesn't know what the what the value is and apply it to all the things that are out there in their brain. You're still at the mercy of that. It's still a language that could be, at the end of the day, just an old ancient book and just has the stuff in it. When we are talking about these kind of uploadings, I guess that's an archaic term in itself, but putting it on some kind of like cloud, 
you're you're having metrics and units that can actually be used, right? Like that, like the same way. Again, when we wire money to banks and stuff, it doesn't matter what the bank is. I can sw swap it to you know crypto and all this stuff. That's all translatable uniformly. That's what you're doing with your numbers and values. You go from a paper when you order molecular or these studies on a tissue to all of a sudden having these very like quantified data points that can be interpreted in a way a human brain can't do a hundredth or a thousandth of and can all of a sudden just really cast an open net that otherwise isn't completely bottlenecked by the capabilities and capacity. I'm a pretty confident doctor, but I know I'm nothing to be able to interpret everything. That's why I use tools, for example, like Excures, and I, and I told you know Mika who's become a good friend of mine, I had my fourth patient that everything was exhausted in standard of care. Everything in NCCN, there are no more options. Huh, you know, it was palliative care because nothing else effective. I found this random combination on these four patients now over the last four months where they literally have stable disease. There's still awesome. actually, like two of them took a vacation over Thanksgiving, that there was no way if I didn't start in six weeks with the extent of their tumor would have happened. Now, did it make it all go away? No, they're both, you know, they're all 75, 80 plus, and I've been taking care of for years, but it's that kind of translatable ability, right, that can say, hey, for whatever reason, this mutation and this, it shows this one melanoma drug, and then this one, like, ovarian drug, actually is somehow controlling this lung cancer. And I was like, this is crazy, but somehow I got it approved because, you know, Excurs gave me the citations and that combo works. And that is what you can do by having it first and required to have it on somewhere that you can use these metrics to query them into different, Plinko chip basically is a simple way to put it. Plinko chip down and say, for whatever reason, this is where something that may make sense. I, I think that's, I mean, it's so exciting to hear that for me personally. I think this is, it's, it's great. When we think about it, like, you know, if you think that there's 500 or a thousand things that a doctor might need to consider to come up with, you know, the, the right treatment to try next for a cancer patient, right? It's like, there's only, 32 pieces on a chessboard, right? But you're looking at a chessboard with thousands of pieces, right? So it, yeah. if you're going to try and figure out what's the right thing to do, you can't really pay attention to a thousand things at once. Like most of us can think about, you know, maybe five or seven things at once max, right? It's just... Right, at that exact moment. Right, right. and so... What you want is to put all of that information about the patient into a computable format where the computer can say, hey, have you thought of this? Have you thought of this? There's this information that might be relevant to this patient. It's, it's a bit like being either good or bad at searching you know, online, right? If, you, if you're really good at it, you put in something and you get stuff back that's like immediately relevant. Like the first hit that comes back on that page is the thing you need. I bet you're so good at that with your like background. <laughs> you know the algorithms, like what those key I, points are. Th that's actually really funny. I spend like whenever I'm interacting with those algorithms, I'm thinking, what did they change? Like, can I tell what changed in the algorithm? So we're always thinking so. about that, right? Because what, what we want to do is the same thing, which is just to bring you the information that you needed before you even knew you needed it, right? And then you, right, you decide, because we know you know, right? We know, you know, we know that you've learned this. We sort of jokingly say that oncologists have a deep learning neural network in between their ears. All of this stuff is happening in your brain. It's the most amazing... It's the most thing I've ever heard. It's, I wanted to have that with you. <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 it's really amazing that, that what you and your colleagues and your peers can do, right? Because cancer is just so complicated. Like you know, four-dimensional chess or even more complicated. So how do you, you know, how do you learn all this stuff? How do you individualize it for each patient? And there's just, you know, because we're all human too, right? We get tired, we have long days, we have other stuff going on. In your daily life, you know, you might forget your keys, right? But 
you know, these little things that happen that make us human have bigger consequences, right? When you're trying to, to plan and manage this really complicated care and you have to know molecular biology and genetics and physiology and pathology, and you have to be an expert on all these things when you're trying to decide what to do in that moment, right? And I think that's right. really, you know, this sort of, you have to have absorbed and be able to process all of this stuff, maybe even subconsciously, to make a decision quickly about what to do with the patient because you're going to see another patient in 15 minutes and then you have to do the same thing again. And so it just feels like this is the thing where computers can really help, right? Because now computers sift through information, right? That's what they do. That's, I think, what Google really changed, you know, 15 years ago, which is helping us sift through information. And the information everywhere has exploded. The information in cancer grows. We, we actually looked at this. So the number of pages of guidelines grows by 3,000 pages a year, right? Just looking at the NCCN cancer guidelines as a stack. Just on NCCN they grow by 3,000 yeah. a year? So, so if you look 20 years ago, you know, there's maybe five or 10 guidelines and they're about 30 or 40 pages right. each, right? Which is not insubstantial, right. right? That's a book right there. Now, you know, or last time I looked at this, you had 73 guidelines, average of 150 pages each, right? I mean, it, it's yeah. growing at 10 to 20% a year. And so you, but you made two big points there that I just want to highlight. Number one, whether you believe in the most, you know, the most conservative, like, you know, biblical kind of things, we are imperfect, or whether you believe in pure science and it's entropy and we're of error. Either way, we know that there is error in the world, right? Like as humans and the human brain and everything else like that. The, when you have a software that's built that is not of human error, like one, it's a fortification. It's a, it's, a, it's a net to make sure everything's secured. It's just the like, same way you forget the keys, right? Like that happens even to the, to the brightest. So in one way, you have removed that variable of like, you know, like I expect you to never make a mistake at work. Like we know as, as that is imp we're imperfect beings. So that's, that's a fortification process. But number two, and this is the big one that I'm explaining, that I try to share with people. I don't want anyone listening to this think, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm such an idiot, I actually got cancer care without uploading it into an AI system. There's a lot of great things that are first, second, third line, especially in the last couple of years with immunotherapy and targeted therapy and precision therapy, that it is very like outlined and algorithm-based, very straightforward, uh, a lot, not everything, but a lot. But the thing is, we don't have that luxury for long because we have now whittled it away from a macroscopic, this is the histopath, this is what you should do for lung cancer, to now the very things you could never see with the naked eye that we know that cascade of events of a thousand things actually have very real clinical implication on the pathogenesis of the cancer and the treatments. That's where we're just getting at. So in the next five, you know, last four or five years, what you've seen that we were effectively treating you know, testicular is pretty much curable. It's a stage three, even if it's spread everywhere. There are things that we do really well and still the standard, but the where we're going and what's come out in the last four years has been insane because it's a whole nother, it's the same way that nobody understands meta, including myself, or talk about this concept of like the uh, whatever web, whatever that, what's that Web3 or, the thing oh, the metaverse. Web3 and metaverse, like just like it's a whole other concept. That's literally where cancer has gone in a short amount of time. We can understand the protein from the molecular stuff, but it, it's just going to that. And so this is especially for patients that are further down the line. So now it's maybe shotgun chemo. That's when you ask your oncologist, what's the percent chance of working? And sometimes you find out it's eight to 12%, maybe, you know, or 20%. That's when now you say, okay, well, what do we know in the world today 
that I can somehow use the data points on my own biology and my tumor biology to find out what all that molecular stuff is. That's where I believe, and that's why I use, and that's why those four patients I told you, an AI software, because it is impossible for me to go to thousands of pages a day and read about every mutation on every single thing. But at the same time, we know there are things that are out there for those really what seem like random mutations and totally like, you know, uh, obscure. We know their treatments and we know they work. How do you get that? If you're in a situation where you want to be able to apply that today and say, I don't have three years, that's where it can be helpful beyond those kind of first, second, third lines that have really usually very good data. Yeah, I think, I think that's so true. And, you know, the, the point is not that these tools will help replace doctors, but the, no, the, not I think all. what's exciting to me and they yeah, they, they assist, right? You, you know, they're like the training wheels or the guardrails for things that are really obscure because the computer's fail in different ways than people do. And so it's not that like a self-driving car is going to replace a human driver, but because it will fail in different ways than a person will. And we sort of laugh when they do stupid things, right? The, the, the self-driving cars do things that are obviously wrong to a person, but, but there are times when people get tired and the car doesn't, you know, the car doesn't make those mistakes, right? It doesn't get tired. And so it's helpful to have it there, right? So that when, when you might make a mistake, it's there, right? It's a guardrail. But yeah, you have to be in control, right? You still have to have a, your hands on the wheel because it will also do things so where you're like, that's obviously stupid and dangerous. So, you know, with computers to help assist and find this information, it's not the things that are obvious, right? Like people don't need, a, an oncologist doesn't need a computer to tell them what they already know, right? First line, standard of care, second line, third line, they could go look that up. It's sort of the obscure stuff that when you're busy, you might not think about, oh, there's this biomarker. Maybe that biomarker was just published last month, right? And it's new, right? Yeah, or last week. Like this stuff moves so fast. And so, you know, it's like the guardrail, like, oh, hey, have you also thought of these other things that, you know, maybe they're obscure, but maybe they're relevant and you, you decide, right? You know, you're the expert, but let's yeah. just, you know, let's just make sure that we've thought about all the options, you know, in that, yeah. in that moment. And I think, I think that's really, if you change your expectations about getting all this data, making it computable, algorithms can be helpful, right? They can, you know, they can make the job a little bit easier for some of these obscure things. Yeah, and that's why I get frustrated when I mention like, oh, it's AI enabled. Like, well, you know, somebody said that you know, AI hasn't really panned out like we thought it did in medicine. I'm just like, you're just writing off artificial intelligence altogether, like on such a binary statement. That's crazy. It didn't pan out to replace doctors, correct? And I'm, I appreciate you saying that. What it does is it makes NCCN precision like to my patient. NCCN will never have things that are specific to your patient. It is to not on small cell to a couple of tumors and this, that, but it doesn't have all the other metrics. It is a tool. That's where AI, I'm not, I hope anyone's saying that AI is going to replace, you shouldn't go to a doctor. That's crazy. What it does is it helps see far more pieces on the board, like you said. You're talking about chess in the 4D and I'm sitting here like, in checkers in my red or black. So I'm kind of like, I don't know if that's okay. I was terrible at this. But, but that, that's what it permits. But you did say, it didn't tell you first, second, third line. I will say what I like about extras is the peace of mind is very important. And sometimes a doctor that explains a lot could just be like not necessarily like right in the same way that someone that doesn't, you don't trust them is actually perfectly right. Extras does actually tell you what standard care is too, which is, which is nice because every now and then you miss just a simple KRAS mutation, forgot to check it on colorectal, it'll obviously tell you that and also it's it's good for peace of mind too because it tells you, you know, every time I've run it, you know, and it's not a toot, but like it, obviously I'm like, oh, they, I did that, 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 you know, and then I'm, I'm looking at that four or five and those combinations are pretty novel. So we've talked it up, we've said a lot. Tell me, Mark, I'm dying to know, 
how can someone be able to get this at least up there? It's not a second opinion. It's not replacing the doctor, but it's a, it's almost like having it on a USB in an analog kind of, you know, older blue collar way of describing it to have it kind of packaged and, and again, translatable or, or uh, sendable. How does it, how does somebody so, do that? So, so you can sign up at xcures.com, which is our website, and we will compile all of your medical records uh, as everything we can get across the health system into one place and we'll structure it, make it computable so that you can send it off to algorithms, you can share it with doctors, right? You know, if you move practices or you go for a surgical consult, all your records go with you, you can just share it with the doctor. It makes it easier, right? That's the, the goal is to make it easier to find all this information. And I would say, you know, I don't think like doctors are busy, but the reason they miss stuff you know, can be that it's in a different software system, right? You have a bunch of software systems. And so we just want to put it all in one one place for you. Does it have the labs? It has the labs, right? And it has the genomics, right? And all these things, it's on it's on this form. I think, you know, it, unless you're in healthcare, you probably don't appreciate all the different software platforms that you have to log into and people give you paper reports, right? Or they upload a PDF into the portal and you can't search for it. So you have to kind of go and navigate around and find this thing. And then you have to scan through it, right? But these are really dense. You know, the medical record today isn't like the internet where you can just go to a page and search, like whatever search engine you like, boom, the stuff comes up. It's not like that for your patient. And so the records are scattered and they're, you know, massive. Like every one of these patients yeah. has a, a an enormous book of information. I am... Um, you know, my father's a metastatic cancer patient, and so I've been navigating this now for a number of years. He's uh, on his eighth line of therapy, if you can believe it, which is amazing. For what? Uh, prostate. But there, there weren't eight lines of therapy when he was diagnosed. We, we've been finding, like, he's been in multiple clinical trials. You know, we've been finding, like, the game plan, like, always thinking ahead, what's the next thing? But at one point, we were going in for a, a consult at Johns Hopkins, and, you know, he's got two banker's boxes of records, right, going back because he's had cancer now for a number of years. We digitized. We have a high-speed scanner. We digitized all that. We made it searchable and sortable so that he didn't have to carry around. I mean, at some point, you know, carrying around two boxes of paperwork to try and go through your consult with your doctor becomes a little impossible. Yeah, and for the doctor, when you get it, it's like... You have obviously 20 patients that day, 25, and all of a sudden one new patient that just has a CBC that you're looking at is abnormal versus two boxes. It's very challenging. Yeah. And what, another thing is what's crazy is the economic cost. You know, none of us talk about it enough. Like we, we know it's there about healthcare is getting expensive insurance. We hate it. But we don't, none of us at the time, or I guess like it's too messy to distill it down. But even something as simple as when the patients that are on chemo go to an ER, any ER, right? So we have like three different hospitals in where I live. They're, we're at the mercy of knowing when their last treatment was, what they had, what their labs look like. Is this a new anemia where they're hemorrhaging and bleeding or is this just where they live? That either takes a consult, which like obviously is a cost like on the economic system, just basically to query all the facts about the patient, not necessarily manage them in the acute setting from the oncologist, or it takes a phone call from the ER, hey, we we're seeing when, when were they last got whatever, what would their labs look like, this is what it is here. All of this extra like time that goes into taking away from patients and spending it in the room uh, to the ER, everyone waiting six hours. Th that's just one sliver of why these things happen because somehow we're using this analog kind of, I need to read a thing, I need to tell it to you, you need to hear what I'm saying, process it and write it. Like that happens a gazillion times a day all over the country. Imagine that you can just pull it up and see what the baseline is, when their last treatments are, what they're on, or have an idea without those necessary phone calls back and forth. And my nurse says, so-and-so's calling from the ER. They've been waiting for an hour. This is life every day for community oncologists. Okay. And it's, it's, it, it, we have all the technology to be able to completely 
Like just dis like just make that evaporate, and it's only just getting started in 2022. And, I have an AI Doppler thing up my face. There's so much more that we can do once we have these records in a central place. I, I, I mean, in all of these workflows in the health system, right? Um, it's not like there's a proactive, there's not an air traffic controller sitting in the background somewhere looking at all the patient's medical records and they say, hey, there's a new thing at Sanjay's patient. We need to tell Sanjay, Sanjay about whatever happened with his patient. Hey, you know, he's in the ER right now, right? He's not feeling right. well, right? Is he having a heart attack? Is he anemic from the chemotherapy? We don't know. And, you know, the, right. this sort of like, you know, continuous monitoring system doesn't exist because the system is fragmented, the records are fragmented, and we could do a lot better, right? We can do, we can do better for these patients um, by just trying to help their doctors know what's going on, right? What's going on outside in a proactive way. Like it's, you know, making you search for information rather than bringing you the information that you need when you need it is I think the change that the system needs to make. And that all starts with getting all the records centrally in a computable format on an ongoing basis, right? And then you can push alerts, right? Just like you could set Google alerts, right? News alerts and things, you know, or you can pick your custom news feed. You have your patient feed, right? Which is what's going on with my patients, right? You know, do I need to, is this okay? Do I need to do something about it? Right. Because right now we're at the volition and mercy, or sorry, we're at the mercy of the volition of every, like of humans in every step. I need this. They tell you the person that's in the ER that says, call the office. That person receives it. Then that nurse delivers the message to the doctor, and then they send it back, and then someone interprets. That's like five different players on just getting to start the process on treating the presenting issue. Five humans that all took volitional thought and responsibility and discipline, all of which could go yeah, it, and will eventually, just hopefully yeah, sooner. Any one of those is a single point of failure in making that visit happen. And I think, right. I think that's, that's the thing that I see more and more is like, there's just breaks, like somebody falls through the cracks on scheduling, right? You know, yeah. th there was intent, right? And so something happened, the visit didn't, didn't get scheduled. And that's always bad, right? You know, this is time matters, right? And being prompt with your visits and your, you know, appointments and your care during cancer treatment, it matters. And, you know, we're still at the mercy of like, I didn't get a chance to schedule on my way out the door and now I call and I'm on hold for an hour and I can't get into your to see you on time, right? These things happen continuously because it's not like somebody says, okay, I've seen Sanjay and now I'm going to schedule all the next visits, right? I've got my, my game plan is already built, right? right? And so we don't have to wait for a human to, but it is funny. It's reactive. It's like, I have a visit. I schedule the next visit. I have that visit. I schedule the right. next visit. It's not like... Here's the way we treat, and so we're just going to schedule the whole plan for you. Right. No, it's, it's just funny. So many cool yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is, it is very, it, is, it seems very barbaric. <laughs> but uh, in a way. Yeah. Um, so, anything else you want to close with or just share when it relates to, to this and kind of we talked about how it will, you know, enable clinical trials, get access no matter where you are and what pinpoint on the, on the map. Anything else to close? And, 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 I guess anything that somebody says, I do want to query my mom or my dad's stuff, like extras, you already have the background software, right? Which will go to the molecular company that got the sequencing, the pathology report. These are all usually different units or umbrellas for most people in community groups. It's not all in your doctor's office. The doctor didn't run the pathology. That is a document. That's what will be achieved here. And then it can also query all the stuff that, you know, gives you potential stuff to think about should you need it. Yeah, that's exactly right. The, the stuff that really matters is a handful of things in that thousands of documents that you might get 
get your hands on. So we're trying to surface the things that matter to make it easy. Um, I think for everybody, you know, it's a, this is emotionally the hardest thing, you know, that people go through or one of the hardest things that, you know, people experience. And because of that, you need to have this team of people around you and you need to put systems and tools in places to make it easier when it gets tough, because there are going to be times when it's tough. Like anybody who's been through this, there are times when you need people around you to help keep you going through the process, right? You talk about the scheduling problem, but, you know, when you're tired and you're sick and you're feeling, you know, betrayed, right? I think there's a sense of betrayal with cancer that comes that you need a care team, right? You need, whether it's an adult child or it's a spouse or a family friend, but somebody who can actually help keep the ball rolling for you when you're feeling tired, make sure you go to your appointments and, you know, together you get the records and you build the plan and you work collaboratively as a team, right? We call it a care team. And I think that's what you need. Like, it's not a, you know, this is not one V one, right? This is, you need a team, right? Your doctor is kind of the, the leader of this team. Um, and you need to have all your information, right? To build a game plan, right? It's really about thinking about it in this holistic way um, and not letting it happen to you, but like actually working on this as a group, you know, on an ongoing basis. Yeah. And it, it's like, unfortunately, I think it can feel like a job at times, right? Managing, you know, if you have metastatic cancer, it, it can- it, It's like your secretary and your emotional support. And this basically allows everything to be like as a supplement. Having a challenge of cancer and being emotionally supportive is hard enough. I always say the, the loved one is always the unsung hero. Yeah. Like I see them age sometimes faster than the patient and they have this thing and they're frazzled and they're just like, you can just tell. I mean, they haven't slept and everything, unsung hero. What Extra is trying to do is at least help that process of that folder and that frenetic writing down. Let's liberate that because there's plenty on the plate otherwise. That, that's right. You know, we just we need to make it easier for people to have a successful experience. And so they can focus on the much bigger yeah, daunting goal instead of these little things. Right. And and you know, then it becomes a chronic thing. Like I think, you know, we've had so many tough experiences with my father's care. Um, it's like this sort of cycle, right? Of you know, you're doing well and then you're doing poorly and you're concerned and then, you know, you find something, right? Because we've been putting together game plan on a continuous basis. He's got a great care team around him and he's got a doctor like you who's really conscientious and thinking like, what's coming, right? What should I be thinking right. about for this person when the time comes, right? And that, yeah. that well, when the what's the next yeah, and, yeah, and, you know, that's really how you turn this into, you know, a, I can live my life, right? And I know I'm going to be here. I think, Probably the, the, the best thing, my dad got a puppy recently, which is like changed his life. But the fact that he's thinking that way just, just says like, you know, he's in a good place mentally, which is, you know, really key in this is to, you know, put those structures in place to help you manage it. And that's hard. Like this is, this is a consuming thing, right? It is a, like basically a lifestyle of managing. It is. And we're all terminal. We all have a finite amount of time in this world. And if it's consumed doing things that are, can be, you know, like alleviated and not as laborious. It just puts more of that impactful, you know, minutes in the finite time that we all have. Right, right. Mark, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time, Sanjay. I really appreciate your passion. This is awesome. And I think I just, we got to make this happen. People deserve this. And I don't think people talk about it enough about how, but just belaboring all this is and how, when you sit back, it's ridiculous that like, we still just let it go on every day. All these calls, all these like efficiency drops, yeah. and everything is wild. Awesome. Have a great day, Mark. Thank, thank you, you so much. Seriously, good luck to your dad. He sounds he sounds very you know inspirational. Thank you. And you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Bye.